and welcome to episode 68 of the Mutant Blitz podcast. I'm your host, Josh Hennig. On this edition of the podcast, I'm going to review and explain Zack Snyder's Justice League. It just went on HBO Max several days ago. So if you haven't watched it yet, there are spoilers in this review. If you have watched it, this is where you want to come because we're going to get into what you just saw and its relevance and what is next for the DC movie universe. So let's open up a call one and get started on episode 68 of the Mutant Blitz podcast. So before we get into the specific details of the movie, I just want to give an explanation for the relevance of this movie. The relevance of this movie comes down to the fact that, just a little history, so Zack Snyder is the original director and executive, one of the executive producers of the current iteration of DC Universe movies. The DC people along with DC Comics, along with Warner Brothers, who is technically the parent company of Detective Comics, they got together and saw the success that Marvel was having with their movies, and they were trying to figure out how they can maximize their characters in the same way. So what they did was is they saw the success that Christopher Nolan had with his movies, him and David Goyer and that whole group with phenomenal success, breaking all kinds of box office records at the time. And so they said, well, we want to duplicate that success. How do we do that? So Jeff Johns, who is a former and current DC comic book writer, was brought in by Warner Brothers to be part of the overseeing of what is known as the DC Extended Universe, which is the movie side of the platform to differentiate itself from the television side of the platform, which is what you saw shows on the, on the CW, like Arrow, supposed to be separate from as well, what you have seen in some way with some of the shows that used to be on DC Universe, which is a defunct app now that has now been uh, absorbed by HBO Max. Zack Snyder was the man behind Man of Steel, which I personally thought was one of the best versions of Superman I ever saw. I know a lot of people are in love and are nostalgic about the Christopher Christopher Reeve Superman. But the problem with Christopher Reeve Superman is that it fell into the same mistakes that disenfranchised comic book fans like myself from Superman, which is the messianic nature of Superman, the... I'm flawless, I'm perfect, I'm this, I'm, you know, the fact that Superman can do no wrong, the fact that Superman is, basically has abilities that are on par with whatever needed to happen, like right? Like, the idea in the comics or in some of those Christopher Reeve movies was, is, well, Superman can do this because that's what the situation calls for. There was no defined set of powers and abilities. He wasn't flawed. You couldn't identify with him. He was, he was basically a godlike idol. He wasn't a a character that you could really identify with. He was someone to be idolized and looked up to. What Zack Snyder did was he took the DC characters and he tried to ground them, all right? Now, some people didn't like Man of Steel. I thought it was very well done. Batman v Superman was where things started going sideways because Zack Snyder and Warner Brothers and DC Comics tried to accelerate the timetable because they saw that Marvel was pulling away from them at an exponential rate in terms of their entertainment properties. Batman v Superman turned out to be the first step in the mistakes. The production company, as well as the theater outlet, Warner Brothers, the people who 
finance the movie, distribute the movie, went to Zack Snyder and told him, you're starting to make these movies too long. And for those who went into the theater and watched Batman v Superman, you walked away saying, wow, it felt like there were some real serious holes in that storyline. Come to find out when you watched the extended version, you found that there were things that Zack Snyder was forced to cut out of it due to time constraints because Warner Brothers wanted to keep the movie to a certain specific time and length. Zack Snyder is what some people have referred to in the movie industry as a long-form storyteller. He is someone who seems to take a really long time to get to his point. So the original release of Batman v Superman was two and a half hours, but if you watch the extended cut, it's closer to three and a half hours. And that almost hour of content filled in a lot of the story gaps that were in the original film. Well, the moderate success of the movie led DC to keep going forward with Zack Snyder's full long-term plan, which was to come up with a series of Justice League movies that would be kind of weaved in around a bunch of other solo projects like Wonder Woman, a second Superman movie, The Batman, which was supposed to be it's also executive produced and co-directed by Ben Affleck. In the process of producing the original Justice League movie, Zack Snyder had a death in the family. And even though they were very close to having the movie done, he felt that he just couldn't do it anymore. He had to take his time away from all filmmaking, everything altogether. As a result, what DC did was in their desire to compete with Marvel, they brought in the man who was the director of the two, the first two Avenger movies, Avengers and Avengers Age of Ultron, Joss Whedon. And Joss Whedon came in and reshot almost 70% of the movie. There were tons of content that Zack Snyder had as part of his story and a part of the film that Joss Whedon just didn't like. Joss Whedon, as we've come to find out years later, also mistreated members of the cast. He was aloof. He was disconnected. And his vision for the movie ended up being a complete box office flop. The money that was spent on the movie, they barely made back in terms of national and international release money. As a result of the failures of that movie, there were a lot of people at DC Entertainment which was overseen by Warner Brothers, who eventually would be fired or reassigned to other jobs, including Jeff Johns, who is now exclusively working on comics and a handful of television properties for DC's entertainment arm, but he's no longer involved in the movies. Over the years, since 2017's release of Justice League, there has been a very loud outcry from fans online who have been demanding... Zack Snyder's cut of the movie. Initially, Zack Snyder was like, look, I've washed my hands of this. I don't want anything to do with this. And it was about a year and a half ago where Zack Snyder started feeding the monster, as I call it. I don't mean a monster. I mean, I mean the, you know, the social media monster where he started releasing a little thing here and a little thing there, a little picture, a little moment, things that he was saying hey, if it was my movie, this would have been in there. And that drummed up even more fan interest. 
Along the way, DC was recalibrating their entire future plans. Ben Affleck was eventually no longer going to be Batman. They were resetting the entire universe because they felt that the Zack Snyder version of DC's movie universe was a failed project. And really, it wasn't Zack Snyder's version of DC Universe. It was Warner Brother and Joss Whedon's editing of Zack Snyder's universe that was the problem. Because remember, Man of Steel was very successful. And again, as a not a Superman diehard myself, I appreciate what Zack Snyder was doing with Superman, which was he was trying to take these characters and take them from this pedestal that DC Comics have put them on for 60, 70 years and try to make them digestible in the real world. So as a result, this fan outcry was drumming and drumming and drumming. Finally, Warner Brothers came to Zack Snyder and said, what would it take for you to consider doing this? Not that we're saying we're asking you to do it, but would you consider doing this? To which Zack Snyder turned around and said, I would definitely consider it under certain stipulations. The COVID-19 pandemic accelerated some of those conversations because DC was in negotiations with Warner Brothers and with HBO to launch a streaming platform. And the idea was, as Avengers Endgame was going to be released on Disney Plus before it got released anywhere else, they wanted Zack Snyder's Justice League to be the jewel of their launch. So the idea was is that they said, look, there's a huge fan outcry for this. If the people who are crying for Zack Snyder's cut all sign up for HBO Max, it will cover cost for the first several months of the project launch. Just like Disney Plus exploded now, they already have over 100 million subscribers. The initial launch was massive because people knew that Avengers Endgame, which was just in theaters months earlier, was going to be launched on the streaming platform in December before the end of that year, 2019. So the idea was is that Zack Snyder's Justice League was going to be the thing that drew everybody to HBO Max. So Warner Brothers told Zack Snyder, we need you to have this ready by January. So Zack Snyder said, look, if I'm going to do that, I need you to agree to my terms. And among his terms where he needed to finish shooting certain scenes that he never finished shooting. So obviously in the pandemic and the protocols and regulation, that became a little bit of a dicey situation. So there was a lot of working around things to get that done. But they did get it done. The post-production editing of the movie became a much more laborious process than they realized. And Zack Snyder alerted, Warner Brothers and HBO, look, I am not going to have this ready in time for January. To which initially, Warner Brothers and HBO were like, well, you take a long walk on a short pier. To which Zack Snyder said, no, I'll just release it online without you guys. And then they were like, no, no, don't do that. So we kind of had to corner them to get them to capitulate to some of his demands. The original plan for the Justice League Zack Snyder cut was supposed to be a four-episode event that was supposed to be released over four weeks, kind of like a long-form episode. Over time, the idea of that became less and less appealing for everybody involved. Uh, HBO was having their own issues with their launch due to technical difficulties and to content issues because in their process of trying to move everything over in the Warner Brothers library into this app platform, 
they were running into some issues. They were supposed to launch on one day. They had to push back the launch day. It became a total fiasco. In the end, they gave in to all of Zack Snyder's demands for this movie. And as a result, the movie that is on HBO Max is completely unadulterated by no post-production editing, no Warner Brothers coming in and saying, we don't like this, we don't like that, or DC or anybody. It was purely Zack Snyder's vision for this movie and his original intent. So with that being understood, now we can get into the movie itself, which is four hours long, by the way. So if you do not have four hours to cut out of your day, uh, you better follow the part one, part two, part three, part four setup of the movie. Otherwise, you might get lost along the way a little bit. As a complete product, I have a great appreciation for what Zack Snyder did. Is it how I would do it? Probably not. I still feel that there is an unnecessary dark and brooding element to Zack Snyder's DC universe that is it's just not necessary. There's way too much darkness for a group of characters that were eventually that were originally meant to be uh, characters that sh- were a light in the darkness. You know, Superman was supposed to represent hope. Batman was supposed to represent you know, the, the guy who finds justice for those the police can't find justice for. Wonder Woman was supposed to be this beacon of example of, you know, original feminism and female empowerment, not some of the, you know, modern concepts of it. But the original concept was Wonder Woman was supposed to represent something that women could aspire to. So all these concepts were supposed to be the original concepts of these characters. And there is a little bit of a edgier, darker adult element to the movie that, again, it's not like what Joss Whedon did, which was completely horrible. So I'm not saying that. Zack Snyder's obvious product made more sense. It was a better story. It was more digestible, even though it was four hours. And I do have a strong appreciation for what Zack Snyder was going for. As I get into my explanation here, I will give you my critiques positive and negative. The movie starts with Superman's death in Batman v Superman, kind of drawing the connection from the previous movie to this one, which I thought was a good job by Zack Snyder in explaining the connective tissue between the movies. His reason for the mother box's awakening, I thought was a little cheap. I am not a fan of cheap concepts. Superman's scream was so loud and his death was so impactful that the mother boxes sent a message to Darkseid and his forces that Earth is conquerable now, which is, it's a flaky concept. It's a very, it's a very loose connective tissue, but fine, it's, it's science fiction, we'll run along with it. The presentation of why the mother boxes and Steppenwolf and all that stuff was dealing with Earth was a much better explanation than Joss Whedon's explanation, which was complete garbage. I love the fact that Zack Snyder allows you more history and a more nuanced explanation of why Darkseid came to Earth and what he was looking for, which was the anti-life equation. The fact that the, the, um, the Amazons from Themyscira sent a message to Wonder Woman, and Wonder Woman goes to the temple and finds the 
similar concept. You know, the Egyptian hieroglyphs and what you saw in the movie. It's a similar concept. And I like the fact that they were trying to say, look, there's a historical aspect to this. We're going to give you a little history. We're going to give you a little bit of a stage setting, explain to you all this stuff. Again, it's a very long explanation. It's a very long movie. So it's a lot to digest. But I did really appreciate the fact that they gave Wonder Woman's character more than just a, hey, Wonder Woman's in the movie. It's She was an integral part of them getting through this process. Also, she was a big part of them recruiting Cyborg. I know that Zack Snyder claims that Cyborg is part of the heart of the movie. I mean, he's part of the heart of the movie, but he's not as, as centerpiece as Snyder let on, in my opinion. I feel like his story is just a story among the larger story. And I'll get to why that is in just a minute. But early on in the movie, you're kind of being given this explanation for things. And I'm a big believer in if you take the characters out of the story and then you tell me the story, is it still a story? And in this case, I believe it is. And I think that Zack Snyder did a very good job at explaining why Batman is bringing everybody together, why Darkseid is a threat, why Steppenwolf is so dangerous. The feats of strength that Steppenwolf showcases at one point is a very strong contrast to explain this is why they need Superman. Because none of them are physically capable of taking down Steppenwolf as he is constituted in the movie. And if they can't stop Steppenwolf, they have no chance against Darkseid. And you have these moments where Cyborg or Batman or various characters have flashes of the future of what the world will look like if they continue down the path they go on. And you see at one point Cyborg, when he's connected into the matrix of the Kryptonian ship, he is told, once you do this, the future is set in motion. So you have these moments where it's almost like fate is telling them, if you do this, this could happen. Not that it will happen, but it could happen, which is a uh, post-apocalyptic future where, as you find out at the end of the movie, uh, Superman ends up becoming a bad guy, basically, which is interesting because that is a concept that has been played around with. There's a comic book-based video game that does play along with this concept a little bit, and it looks like that, I don't know if Zack Snyder took it from the video game or it was part of something that DC was trying to put together. Again, I'm not fully sure you know, what came first, the chicken or the egg. Obviously, the video game came before the movie came out, but maybe there was a little bit of taking from different things. But the video game Injustice uh, does play into the storyline of Superman becomes this despotic ruler of Earth after... Lois dies, and it feels like they're kind of playing off that concept as well in this post-apocalyptic world in the movie, which is this idea of if you go down this path and Superman loses Lois, that he's going to lose every willing to be Superman, and he's just going to be out for vengeance, and everybody's in trouble at that point. So the movie is really giving you a lot of, lot of things that's really, it takes time to digest. For those who don't understand the relevance of Darkseid, so Darkseid was a character that was created by Jack Kirby, Jack Kirby who created the Fantastic Four. 
there was a time when he left Marvel Comics to go to DC because him and Sam uh, Stan Lee had a falling out. And his big project was these new gods, as he called them. And Darkseid is one of these new gods. And the original idea behind the new gods and Jack Kirby was Jack Kirby was trying to create something that was original and different and something that no one had ever seen before and all this kind of stuff. And it was a comic book series that initially was not very successful because people were not really open to this science fiction concept. It was it was a little bit too science fiction-y for the comic book fan. Like, this was much more... I think if Jack Kirby, instead of writing a comic, he would have written, like, a novel series. It probably would have been a little bit more digestible and acceptable, but because he was marketing this to comic book readers and not to purely science fiction people, it became a problem. And this whole concept between High Father and Dark Side and Eternal War for millennia, it just became a little bit too much for people to accept and absorb because people go to comic books to escape the real world, not to be brought into a completely uh, ridiculous one, to say the least. So, uh, Dark Side comes from this creation of Jack Kirby. And over the years, DC has kind of reached back into these creations of Jack Kirby and brought them into different storylines. So, Darkseid is this being that comes from an alternate universe, and the idea of Darkseid is he is kind of the ultimate supervillain. He has a ridiculous amount of power, a ridiculous amount of ability. He thinks it's his duty to find the anti-life equation so he can wipe all of existence from free will, basically. Uh, he's a bit of a nihilist like Thanos. For those who don't know, Thanos is technically based a little bit on Darkseid. Uh, Jack Kirby created both characters, so there's Jack Kirby, well, not directly creating Thanos, but he was behind it. it no, sorry, not day. <laughs> but anyway, so that's why Darkseid's relevance is in this movie, which is they're trying to stop Darkseid from taking over Earth. Because if Darkseid gets his hand on the anti-life equation, he will enslave all of the multiverse and he will basically be this evil ruler and nobody will have free will anymore, basically. That's why the parademons are complete slaves to Steppenwolf and the Darkseid because they are actually half-dead creatures from other worlds that Darkseid has conquered who he has turned into these armies of his. So that's why the relevance of all that is. And that's why it's a big deal for superheroes to try to stop him. And that's why they ultimately decide they have to resurrect Superman. And the death and resurrection of Superman is something that happened in the 1920s, sorry, 1990s in comic books. So this is not a new concept. It was just new to a lot of people who either didn't read those comic books or maybe they wanted to see a different version of that storyline. And I think Zack Snyder did his best to make it something that was semi-believable. Again, we're really blurring that line from comic book characters and science fiction in this movie. So if you are somebody who appreciates comic books and science fiction, this movie probably was easy for you to accept and go through. If you only like one or the other, then maybe there are elements of this movie that you thought were absolutely ridiculous. Like, for example, the idea that 
the mother box had to be awakened and in the form of a charge, and the flash had to touch at the exact right moment to start it. But that's one of my problems with the movie. This idea that the Flash is still learning his powers, but he knows as much as he does, is completely confusing to me. You're telling me that he knew to make a suit that would withstand his powers, but he still is unsure about how to use them properly? It just feels a little strange. It's like, on one hand, Barry Allen is super smart, super intelligent. But on the other hand, we don't know if he really is that smart because... He doesn't know what he's doing. Like, it's just a strange blurring of the lines. And I didn't love that. I feel like this is something that CW got done better than Zack Snyder's movie. Barry Allen is one of the smartest people in the DC universe. And this idea that Barry Allen is this kind of like goofy, flaky kid who's still figuring it out, I, I just didn't accept. Okay, you can't be that smart and that oblivious at the same time. All right, we all have flaws in our character and our mental makeup and our ability to comprehend things. Okay, you know, some people are great at math, some people are not. Some people are great at chemistry, some people are not. I get those things. But in the comics, Barry Allen was not as dense as he is in this movie at times. And I think that was kind of my problem with the movie. You know, Barry Allen is so stinking smart. And he's actually street smart, too. He's not just book smart in the comics. So they, they kind of dumbed Barry down a little bit. I wasn't too much of a fan of that. But I like the fact that they gave him his just due at the end of the movie. And we'll get to that soon. As the movie progresses, you also see that Aquaman finally accepts his role in defending and saving Earth and that you know, the superheroes need him. He has to work with the superheroes. And he fights Steppenwolf at one point in the ocean. And they have a nice little battle. I feel like if I didn't watch Aquaman, though, I wouldn't have appreciated what I saw from Jason Momoa's Aquaman character in the Justice League movie. Because I felt that Aquaman did an incredible job at explaining his origin story, and why he is the way he is, and why he feels the way he does, and all that kind of stuff. I felt like Zack Snyder was skipping information a little bit, and he was kind of assuming that you knew the Aquaman story, kind of like he does with Batman. Where he's like, Well, you know Batman, and you know Alfred. You don't need an explanation for some of this stuff. And I feel like some of this stuff was a little bit too much. Like, you know, insider information at times. It would have been nice if he would have given a little bit more background to Aquaman. Because like I said, if you didn't watch the Aquaman movie and then you watch Justice League, you'd be a little bit confused about why Aquaman feels the way he does about things. It feels like he's just like this cranky guy at times. And he finally, could, finally just is like, fine, I'll help you. I'll be a hero whatever, bro, kind of attitude. You know, the whole scene where, you know, the Flash turns to him and he says, you know, for a moment there, I thought you actually, you know, cared for once. And he turns around and says, I never saw I didn't care, and he walks away. And the Flash is just so confused. Well, the whole audience is confused too, okay? It's not just the Flash. Like, the dude spends half the movie being this complicated character that nobody could fully figure out. And if you watch Aquaman the movie... It's like a light goes off. You're like, 
Now I get it. Now I understand why the character is the way he is. So it's small stuff like that. Also with Batman, like, you know, why is he so brooding? You know, why does he say some of the things he does? You know, I spent all this time trying to keep us apart and I had to bring us back together. Like, there's really no explanation in Batman v Superman or the Justice League movie about Batman's background, about why it is the way he is. Like, you're supposed to figure it out. If you're a comic fan, you see in the Batcave different things that explain to you why Batman the way he is and everything he's been through. But if you're not a diehard comic book fan, you don't understand some of that information. I feel like that's where these movies fall short with DC. And that is, stop assuming everyone who watches the movie knows what you're talking about, bro. You can't do that. There's so much this bro. Yo, comic book bros. And, you know, we all are in on the joke. We all know the... No, not everybody does know. You know, that's the beauty of what Marvel has done. Marvel has given you a digestible product that even if you haven't read a comic book, you can walk away from the movie knowing what happened and understanding the story. And maybe you do need certain things explained to you, but you're not, you know, completely lost. Where at times watching Justice League, I can see people being like, wait, what? Why? I don't understand that. And I think that, well, Zack Snyder does a much better job than Joss Whedon did with his cut. There are still some holes in the story. The resurrection of Superman made a lot of sense. I thought that the what they did with it and how they did it was believable. You know, you this guy has basically been dead, and he's acting out, and he doesn't really have all of his memories. All he knows is people are being aggressive, and he has to defend himself. The whole part where Lois Lane jogs his memory and he starts remembering who he is and eventually comes around. It's a little played a little bit loose, but I can accept it again. It's science fiction. We're playing with concepts that don't really exist in reality. So I can accept some of that. I did like the fact that Zack Snyder went with the black Superman suit. And for those who didn't fully understand the relevance of that, in the comic book, Superman puts on the black Superman suit to recharge himself because obviously black absorbs sunlight and Superman gets his energy from solar energy. That's basically his, his battery, right? That's basically what charges him up. That's where he gets his power from because he's in, in a yellow sun instead of a red sun. And the black suit is supposed to be a rehabilitation suit as well as something that super absorbs the sunlight. So that's why you see at one point when he puts the black suit on, he flies into the sky, and he's literally in direct line with the sun. Because remember, technically on Earth, the ozone layer filters sunlight through, so we don't get the full blast of the sun, or we would all just fry. Okay, That's just basic science. So Superman flying into space to get a full brunt of the sun is his way of being supercharged. So that's why he does that. Would have been nice if they would explain that a little bit, but I appreciated the nuance. Again, Zack Snyder can't explain everything, okay? At some point, he had to leave something out of the script in the movie, and I get that. I did also like the fact that they made Superman coming back, he refines his humanity. And I have a great appreciation for that, because there are so many times that when you watch characters in movies who are as powerful or as unbeatable as a Superman character would be, 
you got to have a reason to root for him, except for he needs to save the day. And the moment where he's hugging Lois and his mother, Martha Kent, it's this moment where you realize Superman is still, you know, he's still part human, even though he's this godlike figure and he's ridiculously powerful. He still has compassion and he still has a heart and he still is a symbol of hope, which is the original intent of the character. And I like the fact that whether it's Wonder Woman, whether it's Superman, Zack Snyder doesn't lose touch with the the real original intent of these characters. And that's, that's meaningful to me because at the end of the day, heroes are supposed to save the day, not just be these brooding characters that are, fine, I'll save the day grudging, begrudgingly. Also, my favorite part of the movie is when he fights Steppenwolf. And when he, Steppenwolf's going to try to kill Cyborg, Superman flies in there and says, not impressed. And then he just starts laying waste and taking Steppenwolf out to the yard and it's just putting a beating on him. Because I finally have a movie, and it was in Man of Steel as well, where Superman is not depowered. That we're not trying to rationalize Superman's strength and abilities. There is a defined layers of power when it comes to Superman, and then Wonder Woman, and then Aquaman, and then The Flash, and Cyborg. That it's this clear delineation that Superman is the apex power character. He is the top of the hill. And then under him is Wonder Woman, and she is ridiculously powerful too. But she's not as powerful as Superman. And then under her is like Aquaman, Flash, and Cyborg. They're all kind of around the same range, those three characters. But there's a clear delineation. And I appreciate that as a viewer because you're telling me there's a reason why Superman can beat Steppenwolf, why you need Superman to beat Darkseid, because he is that powerful. One of the things that I didn't like about Superman Returns and Christopher Reeve's Superman is that the concept of Superman's powers and abilities kind of ebb and flow depending on the moment in the movie and the storyline and all these strange variables. Like, if you ever watch the television show Smallville, Superman is learning his powers and abilities as he gets older. So it's at least acceptable to say, okay, I understand why in season one Superman did this, but in season five Superman did that because he's still learning what he can do. But when you watch a show, like for example, the current show Superman and Lois, which I'm going to review in a completely different episode at some point, when the show finishes its first season, I'm going to review it. But I don't like the fact that Superman's depowered. And it's like, Superman is supposed to be the strongest. Like, how does Superman pick up a bridge? But he's having trouble beating up a metahuman with similar powers. It's just a strange uh, contrast. Like, you can't be one and not the other. Right? Whereas in this movie, Superman is this powerful. It's defined. It's understood. There's no guessing. There's no figuring out. There's no questioning why. It just is very clear. And Henry Cavill does a great job at playing the character. He looks like Superman. He is Superman. And Warner Brothers in DC, if they are genuinely trying to recast Superman and trying to get rid of Henry Cavill, it's a complete and utter mistake. And I don't blame, blame Henry Cavill for telling his agent, call Marvel, because I'm mad at DC for basically 
cutting me off like this. Because Henry Cavill poured so much of his time and energy into this character for three movies. And it was supposed to be in more. And now all of a sudden, you're just going to clean slate? I just, it's, it's disrespectful. It really is. Um, I mentioned all about the Flash gets his, it gets his due. So Zack Snyder explains that Flash's powers are that he doesn't just create a charge when he runs fast enough. It's that the Flash is literally when he's running, he's running at a rate of speed and he's moving at a rate of speed that he, if he doesn't wear the suit, it can rip reality around him. As you saw in the scene where he saves Iris West, he literally runs and shreds his sneakers that he's wearing in the pet store. And that's why Zack Snyder feels like that the Flash, he can't carry people, right? He can do these things, these small things, like move someone or touch something or move something or hit something. Because if he tries to carry someone, he's moving so fast that he would rip them apart. While I appreciate Zack Snyder trying to ground the Flash, that's not exactly how the Flash works in the comics because the, the fl- purpose of the Flash is, yes, he can move that fast, but he's not always moving that fast. So it, it was a very interesting and uh, unique explanation for his power set. But they basically wrote the story in a way that the Flash is the reason why the world is saved. Because he has to move at a speed that turns back time in order to save the day. And I think that it is a a very cool homage to the Flash's abilities. And I thought that part was very cool. It was a great moment that they built up to to have the Flash basically be the catalyst for them to save the day. And I also like the fact that the mother boxes are dead. They basically ruin the mother boxes. So they can't be used anymore. I love that part because in Joss Whedon's Justice League, it was this ambiguous, well, do they work? Do they not work? Are they really destroyed? I don't know. It doesn't really matter. We saved the day. No, it was, we literally disabled this way for Darkseid to take over the planet. We literally accomplished the goal. There's no ambiguity. There's no, well, you know, maybe, I don't know. Wait for the next movie. No, it is defined. It is concrete. And I greatly appreciate it because I hate stories that have cliffhangers for no reason at all. If you're going to give me a cliffhanger, I have to have a reason. Don't leave the audience trying to figure out what happens if this happened and what if something... No, that's that's been erased. At the end of the movie, you see that this the nice moment, which is one of my favorite moments in the movie as well, where... uh, Martha Kent is moving back into her home and Superman is helping them. And, you know, Superman thanks uh, Bruce Wayne for helping him. And, you know, he says, how'd you do it? And Bruce Wayne turns around and says, he says, how'd you get the house back for the bank? And he says, I bought the bank. And Superman looks at him like, wow, you really are that filthy rich. And then just thanks him and they kind of walk off together. I love that moment because it's a moment where there's this mutual respect toward toward towards each other by these two titan-like characters that is something that gives the audience this, this you know, good-feeling end of the movie that 
as Batman, you know, remember the Flash asks Batman earlier in the movie, he goes, what is your superpower? He goes, I'm rich. And, you know, he drives off in this super, super expensive uh, Mercedes Benz, which I think is funny. It's so Mercedes Benz is, in the, is like the car of the DC universe <laughs> and the Marvel movies are all Lexus and Audis. I think that contrast is actually, I, there's a little funny irony to it, but uh, it, it's kind of like Batman has these moments where he shows you how rich he is. And buying, there, there is something, there, there is something like, of course, well, you know, very, like, wow, good grief. Like, you're really that rich, you're just going to buy the bank. But it's a cool moment, too, because it's similar to what we saw in the Christopher Nolan movie, where uh, Bruce Wayne walks into this hotel and, you know, he says, hey, sir, you know, your, your female friends can't be swimming in the in the display pond, right? And he says, well, I'm changing the rules around because I'm buying the hotel, right? Like, that's what Bruce Wayne is supposed to do. He's supposed to be the guy that's just so ridiculously rich. They can just do whatever he wants. And the fact that he doesn't do whatever he wants is what makes him a hero, right? That he only does things when it's really necessary or he has to showcase how rich he is to prove a point, right? So that was a really cool moment that he's, you know, he really cared enough about Superman's mother, that he would actually do that. And he shows you that, you know, the, the goodness of his heart. But also shows you how shrewd he is. He could be like, I bought the bank. Like, I, I just took it over. <laughs> so that was a cool moment. I also like the mature maturation of Cyborg by the end of the movie. That, you know, he basically owns the fact that he is this machine, half man, half machine, or... 25% human, the rest is machine. That the Flash accepts his abilities and who he is. Aquaman accepts who he is and his abilities. And it's a nice ending to the movie. And I love the epilogue moment where we finally get Martian Manhunter revealed being played by a character we saw earlier in the Man of Steel and Batman the Superman films, which is the actor Henry Lennox who played General Swanick, and you find out that General Swanick is actually Martian Manhunter, and he's been going through life basically pretending to be somebody else. And I thought that was a cool moment. It was a very cool reveal. It also kind of gives you an idea of what Zack Snyder was going to do moving forward, which is how we're going to conclude this podcast here, this episode of Mutant Bloods Podcast. So Zack Snyder claims that his movie series, which the way he describes it sounds a little bit too much like the Avengers Infinity War Endgame storyline. Basically this idea that the reason why they're all having these visions of the future and the reason why the epilogue has this version of the future where Superman is coming to kill everybody is because, as Zack Snyder explained in a separate interview, the original idea was that Superman tells Batman in the second movie, defend Lois with your life, I am going to fight Darkseid and I am going to stop it. Because I'm the only person powerful enough to do it. And everybody else is just going to either protect the loved ones of everybody or they are going to basically fight off the parademons. And you see this situation where, according to Zack Snyder, that Batman doesn't risk his life. Lois is killed. 
And as you see in the one vision that is showcased in the movie, that Darkseid basically uses the anti-life equation to basically manipulate Superman into being just about vengeance. And that the only thing that ties Superman's humanity to Earth anymore, the thing that makes him a hero, is Lois Lane. That That's why the Flash was seen in the one flashback that Bruce, we talked about saying that Lois is the cape. And you saw that a little bit in the movie where when Superman sees Lois, he stops trying to fight everybody and he stops what he's doing and he kind of starts realizing who he is, remembering, you know, his purpose, right? And I think it's a very interesting concept. Again, it's it's based on the the uh the video game Injustice, which was very popular. That Superman, basically, Lois dies, he loses all grip of morality and just becomes this this psycho uh, monster to to dominate Earth. And when when Starside gets back, the Superman on his side, that nobody has a chance, really. And they they infer in the epilogue that, you know, in this future, that Superman, you know, he kills Aquaman, that he murders all these people just indiscriminately. And the idea that Zack Snyder said was that the second movie would basically play out that storyline. The third movie would be about them going back in time and Batman realizing that the reason why the future becomes the way it is is because he didn't sacrifice himself for Lois and that in the third movie that he would sacrifice himself. That was Zack Snyder's original plan, that Ben Affleck's Batman would sacrifice himself to save Lois and that Superman realizes that Batman sacrificed himself and that it inspires him because he realizes that someone cares as much as he does and that if Batman was willing to do that for him, then, you know, he is going to defeat Darkseid. That's how they save the world. And at the end of the third movie, they bury Batman, according to Zack Snyder's rendition. They live happily ever after. So that's Zack Snyder's original plan for the movies. Now, that movie's never going to happen now because Warner Brothers has come out and said that the original plans for Zack Snyder's universe has basically been tabled. That this allowing him to do this Zack Snyder cut of Justice League was a one-off, right? It was to give the fans what they wanted, to give them the dark side, to give them these characters and this story that Zack Snyder had promised everybody they never got to deliver. Now, there is a lot of rumors out there that DC is going to talk to Zack Snyder about doing a Justice League sequel. Now, it might not be the original plan of Zack Snyder because, one, he gave away the whole story already. And number two, DC is really trying to move forward past the what has happened because they didn't fire Jeff Johns and all those people from DC Entertainment just to... Go backwards. Okay, they have a lot of plans. They're coming out with a brand new Batman, which is supposed to be a, bat, a younger Batman set in the past. The purpose of the Flash movie is supposed to recalibrate. They're not even going to have Superman in the universe. Anymore. They're going to have Supergirl. Uh, and we'll see how that goes. The second Aquaman movie is supposed to be uh, a connection to the Flash movie and the Supergirl movie and all that stuff. And then there's supposed to be a third Wonder Woman movie in a few years. Shazam 2 and 3 are eventually going to come out. So DC is definitively going in a different direction than the original Zack Snyder vision for the universe. Even though they're technically still basing some of these characters off of Zack Snyder's concepts. 
but there is a lot of chatter out there. When there's this much chatter and this much talk, I tend to listen. Zack Snyder is probably going to do something with DC in the future. I don't know what that is. I don't know if that is specifically Justice League or it's something else. But I think Zack Snyder with this movie has proven that he has vision. That he can tell a story. That he can make these characters substantive and not just these idealized out-of-reach characters are on a pedestal that nobody can fully grasp or understand. And I think we've seen that with the movies like Aquaman, Wonder Woman 1 and 2, with Shazam, that these characters can be grounded. They can be substantive. They can be more than just the the gimmicks in the, the, the weird continuity of the comic books. So that's really what Zack Snyder's legacy is going to be. And I do generally believe they're going to find a way... DC and Warner Brothers, to let Zack Snyder do something. I don't know if it's going to be specifically a Justice League 2, but I think they're going to talk to him about something because you don't see the product that was brought to HBO Max and just say, all right, well, that was cool, that was fun. You know, DC makes a lot of mistakes, all right? DC is infamous for their mistakes. I mean... The, the way they've handled their comic book characters and their reboots and their resets over the years has been very controversial. And I don't think it's a coincidence that when Christopher Nolan showed you how much success that you can have if you tell these characters a certain way, that DC took notice. And I think Zack Snyder has done a very good job at putting these characters in a light that allows audiences of all types to accept it. You might not love the story, and you might not be crazy about the story, but you accept the story, and you appreciate the job that Zack Snyder and his team have done. You know, guys like Chris Terrio, um, Will Beale, and all those people who were involved in the production and the writing of the story. And you appreciate the fact that Ben Affleck had a, had a hand in this, and Henry Cable had a hand in it, and Gal Gadot had a hand in it, that, these, char- these actors were not just playing these characters, but they were directly invested in how the movie played out and the product that you saw and the, the final product on HBO Max. And the fact that Zack Snyder has such a good relationship with those actors and that you know these actors like Gal Gadot, she has a genuine, prof- genuine professional relationship with Patty Jenkins, the director of the Wonder Woman movies. And that, you know, these actors and actresses want to have a say in these movies and these characters. They want them to be done a certain way. I think that is a credit to Zack Snyder, and I think that it would be remiss of Warner Brothers in DC to not have them involved in something moving forward. I don't know if that's going to be specifically a Justice League 2. Again, there's a lot of rumors, a lot of chatter out there about what could or couldn't happen. The working theory out there is that, and again, we don't know if this is true or not. This is totally conjecture because I don't know if DC has decided yet or not or if they're just trying to keep, you know, things under wraps. But the working theory is that the Flash movie was supposed to be based on the comic book Flashpoint, which is how DC reset their universe at one point in the comics. The Flash travels through time, changes the modern day, has to go back in time, reset 
the world back to the way it was. And when he comes back, things are a little bit different than when he originally left them. And that was supposed to be the original concept of DC resetting the universe. Now, whether that happens or not, we'll find out. But it's being suggested that that is being considered because the idea is that Ben Affleck and Michael Keaton have both agreed to reprise their Batmans in this Flash movie. So it's insinuating that we're going to be dealing with the multiverse, and we might even see characters from the CW show up in the movie as well, just like Ezra Miller's Flash showed up in the crisis event for CW, that the Flashes meet each other, and they have this moment of, you know, oh, wait a minute, you know, kind of deal. So, again, it's, it's a lot to digest. It's a lot to deal with in this movie. But I do have a strong appreciation for what is being done. And you can't deny that when you have a cast that includes William Defoe and Jeremy Irons and Diane Lane and J.K. Simmons and all of these well-known actors, you know, Henry Lennox, you know, Lennox does an incredible job on the television show Blacklist. I thought he did a very good job in these movies as well. You know, there's a lot of people who are, you know, very credible good actors. You know, Russell Crowe was in The Man of Steel. He did an incredible job as Jor-El, I thought. And, you know, you had Kevin Costner playing Jonathan Kent. And there's just so much substance there that it's more than just these are famous actors in a movie. These actors all did an incredible job in embracing the characters, owning the character, and giving them life in these movies. And again... You may not love everything that's done in the storytelling and the aspects of the movies. And I know for some people, these are not the Batman, the Superman, the Wonder Woman, and the Flash, and the so on and so forth that you per se grew up with. But these are as grounded the characters as you're going to find in DC. And it'll be interesting to see moving forward if DC learns a lesson from all of this. If they really genuinely realize that this is what people want. If they genuinely realize that this is what audience would like to have. Maybe not literally this, but at least in theory, this presentation. That's what people, like, people liked about Dark Knight, is that it was grounded in reality. You know, Batman wasn't, you know, dealing with magic. He wasn't dealing with some craziness that you might have seen in the comics or a comic book cartoon movie, right? No, he's dealing with real-world stuff. And I think that when you have characters grounded it allows the audience, who is not the diehard comic book fan, to digest it along with the comic book fan. That's why Marvel is such a universal appeal, because the characters are grounded, they have substance, it's great storytelling, the actors do an incredible job of portraying the characters. You know, when you're watching the Thor movies, it's not Anthony Hopkins, it's Odin. Okay, you realize Anthony Hopkins is there, but he does such a great job playing Odin, you don't realize it is Anthony Hopkins. Like, that's what you're supposed to do in these movies. And I think that that is something that Zack Snyder did and has to be appreciated. Now, if DC will learn from that or not, we don't know. Because as I said previously on a previous Mutant Bliss podcast, I thought they could have done a better job with Wonder Woman 2. I thought that Aquaman was very well done, but I know some people didn't like it. because Some people felt that the movie was a little bit too fast-paced and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't, uh, you know, what they were expecting, right? And I understand that some of these characters are not what you expected. And it's not how I would have done it, per se. But I appreciate what these people are trying to do. And hopefully, maybe DC moving forward can continue this 
having substance here. Because at the end of the day, if you're going to see a movie, whether it's a superhero movie or not, you want to be able to follow along with the story, appreciate the characters, and you like good storytelling. You like great acting. You like these things in a movie. And I think that of all the DC movies, Zack Snyder's retellings of Man of Steel and Justice League is as close to the success that you got from Christopher Nolan's movies that you're ever going to see potentially in DC. So I think we need to appreciate the product and realize that whatever happened with DC moving forward, frankly, this might have been the best we're going to get. Because at the end of the day, DC is intent on outdoing Marvel, on one-upping Marvel, improving that we're the better brand and all this goofiness. And it's like, at some point, can you guys get over trying to compete with your brother, Marvel, and just do your own thing? And I thought Zack Snyder did his own thing, and I think that's part of the reason why it turned out to be such a good product. Thanks again for listening to this edition of the Mutant Blitz Podcast. If you have any thoughts and comments, you can drop it down below if you're watching it on YouTube. You're listening to this on Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts. You can hit me up on at Josh Hennig on Twitter. Coming up in the future, we will be reviewing more comic book content as we have a little bit of a lull between the end of the Falcon, the Winter Soldier, and as well as Black Widow. So I'll be reviewing some of the content that is on the DC comment content on HBO Max, the Marvel content on Disney Plus to kind of give you guys an idea if you want to watch some of the content out there or not. Because let's be realistic, there is more content on these platforms and what people want to know what to do with. They don't know where to start. They don't know what to consume, what content is really for them or not. So I'm going to try to give you guys some reviews of some of that content so you can decide for yourself if you actually want to spend time watching it because nobody wants to start watching something and realize they hate it and feel like they wasted their time watching something. So I will be the guinea pig for you and let you know if these things are worth some of your time or not. So I'm Josh Enig. This has been the Mutant Blitz Podcast. Like, subscribe, download, Give me feedback. I appreciate all of you listening. And I'll catch you next time right here for the Mutant Blitz Podcast.